passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, our special guest speaker. Well, good morning. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Stephen. I'm the family pastor here. So usually I'm going with these kids uh, back to where they are. Um, so I have the privilege of working with kids from the time they're born to when they graduate and their families here at Crosswinds. And as we begin this morning, uh, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 John. Um, usually we're in the ESV, but this morning our main we're going to be reading from the CSB because there's some slight differences there I want to highlight, but we'll have the CSB on the screens. And I want to start off with asking the question, how do you know what you know? This is an important question, especially in a world where I can find a scientific article that says the world is round and turn, a, turn around and find a scientific article that says it's also flat. How do you know what you know? And when you get something wrong, like a date or a time, it might not seem like such a big deal until it's your wedding day. You just miss an event. Knowing what plants are poisonous and what animals are venomous may not seem like high stakes right now, but until you've eaten something or something has tried to eat in you, that changes the game. Now, those are just facts that we're talking about, dates, times, animals, plants, things like that. Those are facts. But I want to use it to illustrate the point that it's so important to ask, how do I know what I know? Today, as we enter into 1 John, we're talking about this idea of truth. And truth needs to be what our entire lives are based on. So before we begin, I'm going to pray, and then I want to give some context and define some of the terms we're going to look, like, look at in this passage. So let's pray. Lord, we just humbly come before you. Lord, this is your word, not mine. Let you be heard and what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. So context leading up into 1 John, right before this passage, John has challenged the reader, he has challenged us to not love the world, to not get sucked into its desires, its lust, its pride, for they are contrary to God. He then proceeds to warn us that in these last days that we're in from the time Jesus ascended into heaven till he returns, the last days, that in this time there will be many who come, and he calls them antichrist, literally meaning there will be many that those who are against Christ, many of them who oppose Jesus. And some of them are going to even be people that were once among us. But we have hope to not be pulled away, and it's because of the Holy Spirit which he reiterates again in the passage we're about to read. And he repeatedly makes this call for the followers of God to be different. And this call to be different is so important, and the people of God have always been called to be different. Our actions don't make sense to others, right? We gather in this building this morning singing songs, listening to someone preach from the Bible, our witness that we go out and tell people that we genuinely love people. We're told to pray for those who hate us. That we confess and ask for forgiveness. 
I've had times I've gone to people where I've wronged them, and I've been like, hey, I genuinely need to ask for your forgiveness. And sometimes the looks I get of like, you're weird. <laughs> but we're called to look different. Unity with people that look and act and, and think things differently than we do. And one of the biggest things that we're going to come back to again is this idea of humility. And this idea of looking different extends all the way back to the Old Testament, that Israel was called to look different from all the people around them. And I wish we had time to go into all of those things because it's so cool. But so John has just spent the last 10 verses giving us warnings. And now he's going to give us the answer to not falling for these traps, the worldly lusts, the pleasures, the false doctrine. And that is that we, that we should remain. But it's not just an answer for avoiding something bad. He points us to something even better. John gives us a beautiful encouragement. It's a cheering on. It's a vision. It's a hope to set our eyes on to encourage us to remain. And I've studied 1 John a couple of times over the years. And, and sometimes as I would read 1 John, especially if you read excerpts of it, it can seem like John's being really harsh. He's like, don't do this. If, if there's any sin in you, you're not in God. And, and he says, and you read it, you're like, ouch, John, this is personal. But when we look at it as a whole, we get a different picture. He is saying, if you don't do this, you're not getting it right. But it's not the purpose of shame or guilt, but to love and encourage. If you go all the way back to 1 John 1, he introduces the book by saying that Jesus is the only way to have life, to have joy. Following Jesus isn't just a part of life. It is the only way to truly live life for now and for eternity. So today I want to encourage you to carry on, to stand strong. And if anything is convicting in here, like John, this isn't shame or guilt. I'm saying, man, let's unite together to some greater purpose. And so John breaks this passage down into three things that we get if we remain. And so let's read the passage together. 1 John 2, 24 through 29. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. He starts off this idea of what you have heard from the beginning. And if you were to look back at verse 20, he says, but you have, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. So John has been writing about this truth, the gospel, right? And not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, not that idea of the gospel, but the gospel, which is the story of God saving man. It starts all the way back in Genesis 1 with the creation of the earth and everything is good and he creates man and man is wonderful and man chooses to reject 
God, and that brings us to the fall, and then we're looking for the Savior to come, and Jesus comes and dies and saves us, and we are waiting for him to come. This entire story that spans from Genesis to Revelation, this is the gospel, this is the truth that points to Jesus, and Jesus is the truth. This isn't just some story. He says, those who have seen it firsthand, he says, we saw it, we testified, we gave accurate truth to you, and we declare it so that now you may know Jesus and in him have a relationship and joy that he brings. And this idea of like this witness, this testifying, is to bring like a challenge. Like, you know it's true. People have testified to this. You can ask the questions of those who have seen it. It is reliable. And this relationship, the truth that is Jesus, brings about change in a person. It brings a change in our heart that springs forth into action that those that follow him. Right? Because Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So this is the truth that we're called to remain in. And so what does this word remain mean? And in your translation, depending on what you're looking at, might have remain or abide, just different words that translators chose to use. And this is important because John uses this throughout the book, and it's used 11 times here in chapter 2. And this is crucial to understanding this. The basic definition of remain, if we just look it up in the dictionary, means to remain in one spot, to lodge or live or continue in a fixed state. So like when you're watching Netflix, and you've been watching for a while, and it pops up, do you want to continue watching? What it's asking is, do you want to remain on your couch for another three hours watching TV? But it's beyond just a location, right? It's beyond that. Like even with this idea of Netflix, and it says, do you want to remain here? Am I going to remain in a state of sitting here? Maybe it's resting. Maybe it's been a long, exhausting week, and I need to remain and rest. Or maybe I'm supposed to be doing something else, and I'm going to remain in laziness and avoiding the projects I need to get doing. This is the idea of remain. Are you going to be in that state? John 15, verses 5 and 6, Jesus talks about this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. We're called to remain like a branch connected to a tree. Like, that's where it gets its life, to continue in him, to know him, and not just be a part of it, but that actually to produce something. That there is this beautiful product, this fruit that should be coming forth. That the word of God resides in your soul. Then all you do, every decision you make, you are guided by Jesus. That is what it is to remain. So then there's three promises that John gives. The first is we remain for fellowship. And he says in verses 24 and 25, What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. 
There's a pastor, Stephen Cole, who wrote about this, and he said, when John tells us to remain in what we heard from the beginning, he does not necessarily mean that you should never change the beliefs that you have held since childhood. To do so would only perpetuate error if your parents had been wrong. Rather, he means if we began with the gospel and with sound doctrine of the apostles, whose teaching is the foundation of the church, why depart from these sure truths? For the religious speculations of false teachers. We have the apostles' teaching in the New Testament, and John is telling us to abide by these certainties. This is a grounding that we need. If you remember the story of the man who built his house on the sand, it get washed away. And their wise man built his house upon a good foundation that remained. Now, I'm definitely not a builder in any means, but I love camping. And I was on this canoe trip, so we were canoeing down this river, and we stopped at the beaches along the river to camp. And so, you know, sand is a great thing to hammer the pegs in to keep your tent up. And a storm comes that night, and part of our tent just blows right in. And so I had to sleep the whole night with my feet tucked into a corner of the tent, trying to keep the tent up as it just rained and poured, and my feet got soaked. Sand is a terrible foundation. Don't be the tent in the sand. It's miserable. Be the one who has a good foundation that remains and reaps the joy. And John gives us these tests for ourselves, not to see if we are saved, but to test the strength of our relationship with God, our intimate knowledge of who he is and how we live it out. To encourage us to dive deep, to remain in Jesus, to live the fullest joy that he brings, because Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. So now as we talk about this cross-section of truth and remaining, this is very important. And so if you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear this. Remaining in the truth is not about learning more. Learning is a part of our faith. That's why we have someone up here saying this is what God's word says. But if it stops there, we miss the point. Because remaining in truth is living out what you already know. It's being changed by God's word, residing in it, producing fruit, being like Jesus. The church is often compared to a spouse in scripture. And if we only learn, it would be like my wife telling me that after I make food and I leave all my stuff on the counter, that that annoys her. And if I were to hear that, and then never change anything. But, oh man, I heard, I learned that frustrates you. Isn't that great? But I'm still leaving all my stuff on the counter? No. <laughs> right? I live out my love for her by cleaning up my messes. And yes, I do often leave my food out and I'm working on it. And in Christian book sales, this billion-dollar industry, we're constantly buying new books and learning and learning. And it can be a great thing. But I fear we are not ecstatic for the truth, but rather we're just ravenous for learning something. Oh, I learned this new thing, and two days later I've forgotten it. The human mind can only take so much. And so if we're constantly just jamming things in, how do we expect it to stay? This is one of the reasons we do sermon-based life groups here at Crosswinds, is that you hear the sermon, you go meet with your life group, and you talk about it. 
you share, this, this is what I'm learning. This is how it's going to affect my life this week. And then you get to the, together the next week. It's like, how'd you do? Let it sit with you. This is the difference between tea and sparkling water. You let tea steep. It stays there. The flavor spreads. The whole drink is now changed. With sparkling water like LaCroix, it doesn't steep. They just bottle it near a box of strawberries, and then you get some idea of flavor. So be tea, not LaCroix. But we want to remain, we want to stick with God's word so that it actually changes us. And I want to highlight some of the things John says here that are the beginning of teaching. may even call them like the basics of the gospel. Right? We know through the witness of others that Jesus is real and did what it says in the Bible. And that Jesus revealed life to us. And the only way to have true, joyful life is found in him. It brings fellowship with Jesus and with other followers of him. We're called to walk in the light, to obey, to be holy. We're called to love one another. And he says, if we can't love each other, then how can we claim to love God? We are to pass what we know on to others. And this is all just said in the first chapter of 1 John and throughout Scripture. In Ephesians 4, there's things like share with everyone in need, put away all bitterness, wrath, and anger, be kind, be tenderhearted, forgiving, speak truth. Romans 12 challenges us outdo one another in honor, to rejoice in hope, constant in prayer, show hospitality, bless those who persecute you, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Right? Don't be prideful, associate with the lowly. The Bible goes on and on challenging us to do these things. But it's not about doing the right things and checking off the list. It's about remaining in him in that relationship. So what about when we feel like the relationship is off, when we feel like we don't have fellowship? And there's two things to think through. Sometimes our feelings can be a lie. Our feelings are real. I feel them, but they're not always honest or truthful. And in a rough season, we might be like David asking God, God, where are you? But right by the end, you read through the Psalms and he's like, you're still God. You're here and I need to trust you. And the other is asking, man, have I sinned? Do I need to repent and come back to God? And he welcomes us in. I liked this, uh, this passage I read talking about our distance from God. And it says, as for the passages that speak of remaining in him, these passages are speaking about fellowship and not our judicial standing or relationship with God. As those who are, are born again or regenerated by the Spirit into the family of God, we stand in perfect merit and grace of the Savior as justified sinners. But as God's children, we need to walk in fellowship with him. Our refusal or failure to abide in fellowship with him means the loss of his abiding in us in the sense, not of his presence, but in his intimacy, control, and ability to direct our lives. Right? And this is something we need to yearn for because this fellowship isn't just like for now. This is eternal. When John is talking about, man, remain in him because then you get eternal life, it starts now. There was a decision I was having to make once, and I was praying. And I was wrestling with this decision, and I would have my kai at times, and I'd pray that God would give me wisdom to make this decision that would best honor him. 
And I was praying this over and over and over again. And one morning, instead of getting the answer I wanted to, I felt like God was convicting me. That I was asking for wisdom and taking no time to actually sit and pray. I was just like, okay, read my Bible. Great. Okay, God, give me wisdom about this decision. I'm going to work. And God's like, why aren't you taking the time to be with me, to pray through this, to listen, instead of just throwing up a prayer and moving on? And it was so humbling that here I was saying, I want to honor God, but not willing to actually seek him. So my response was to take time and pray and listen, to sit with God, to remain in him, and not treat him like my answer vending machine. But it isn't just for decisions. Um, I'm in these networks of youth pastors from around the country, and so often I see these um, Facebook posts, and they've had teens in their churches commit suicide. Or we see pastors, moms, dads, brothers, sisters taking their lives. There is so much hopelessness, loneliness, depression. School won't fill, friends won't fill it, drugs, sex, job, money, status, whatever. Nothing will fill this but the relationship with the one where true joy in life comes from. Like I said, that's how John opens the book, is that we need Jesus. And we can't take that and just try to do better. The answer is not just try harder. That is what is beautiful about the word remain. It's an invitation to be and to become and to have a relationship with God. That we know God, we spend time with him, praying in his word, with other believers. And like I said, this fellowship is eternal. It doesn't occur when you die, that the eternal life of Jesus starts now and goes on forever. Next, we get to verses 26 and 27, where John says, I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, And you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. And so the next thing we do is we remain for steadfastness. And we don't see the word remain in these two verses until near the end. But it's coming off the same idea. Remain in what you have heard. Remain in the word. If you do, you will see steadfastness. You will continue in following God. You aren't going to be deceived or pulled away. But as we remain, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, guides us. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is a gift to us. And because of the indwelling, John says earlier in the gospel that the Holy Spirit works in us to discern what is true from false, right? Not like some magic eight ball where you shake it and it's just an eight-sided die that gives you the same answers over and over again inside. But he actually wants to talk to us, to guide us. We communicate in a relationship with a real being who loves you. He says, you need no one to teach. And this isn't saying that, like I said, standing up here teaching God's word is bad. Jesus commands it. We need it for growth. Rather, John is saying that when someone comes along and is teaching false doctrine, that's saying like, hey, come here, I've got something new. I've got something different. I've got something better. That we don't need that. We have scripture to look at ourselves, to test it against. We have the spirit who guides us. 
Right? This is the idea of the priesthood of all believers. That's what the EFCA statement of faith says. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. So in verse 27 is the Spirit has taught you to remain in him. And this idea, we can't pat ourselves on the back and be like, oh, look how good of a job I'm doing by loving and remaining in Jesus. Look, I study well. I'm so smart. No. The Spirit is a gift, and the Spirit is the one that enables us. So we come to humility, and we say, thank you, God, for helping me. Thank you, Lord, that, that you have spoken me in my heart, that you have kept me following you. And we are to stay rooted in what we were taught, the gospel handed down from the apostles to us today, and we have certainty in this. John tells us in verse 21, he says, you know the truth, and we do. But I want to challenge you, it's easy to be deceived. If we're going to stand here and go, oh, this, this won't be me, I can't be deceived, man, that's, that's prideful. Then the, probably the next step is you're going to be deceived. And we think it can't happen to us, that's dangerous. Because John is writing because people are trying to deceive and people are being deceived. And John previously mentions in chapter 1 two ways we're deceived. And that is by sin and by worldly desires. And that's one. And the other one is by talking about false doctrine that leads us astray. And so sin can lead us astray, right? Sin looks good. I've shared this story before, but to illustrate this with our students one time, I took Oreos and I scraped out the cream, and inside I put mayonnaise. And it looked just like an Oreo. And so I brought two students up and I said, hey, the first one to eat their Oreo wins at the game. So these boys, they did not like it. But this is sin. It looks so good. Like, oh, look at the chocolate and the cream in the middle. Oh, it looks so good if I do this. And then we do it, and we're like, oh, that wasn't that great. <laughs> but it looks good. It can be physical pleasure, pride in our achievements, whatever it is. The sin looks good in the moment, but that's why we need the Spirit to remind us it's not worth it. And then we get to false doctrine right? Bible verses that aren't in the Bible. Bible verses taken out of context. One of the biggest distortions that, man, if I follow God, God's just going to bless me. My life's going to be happy. My job's going to be good. My family's going to be great. The Bible doesn't say that, right? How Philippians 4.13 is thrown around. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, right? How, how often that's prayed before a sporting event. That's not the context, it's not the Nike motto of just do it. Can I run a faster mile? God will help me do it. Can I get a promotion? Can God give me strength so I can regrow my hair? You know, whatever it is. In John 15, we're told that we're incapable of serving Jesus without him. And if we think that Jesus is here just to give us a boost in life, then we've missed it. Right? To follow your heart because it feels right. Or kind of the opposite. Oh, if this thing is scary, I just shouldn't do it. The Bible tells us our hearts are wicked and deceitful. That's why we remain. Because sometimes the scariest thing is the thing we're called to do. And sometimes the thing we really want to do is just an Oreos with mayonnaise in it. 
the lie that God will be championed through politics. If we can just get the right people in office, everything will be better. Whatever the lie, we don't have, talk, we don't have time to talk through every lie that the church has ever believed. But this is not pointing our fingers even to like other people. We need to ask, is what I believe true? How do we know what we know? Just because a website has the word Christian in it or quoted a Bible verse doesn't make it true. So what and who are you reading? How do they even know it's true? How are you knowing what it's true? If you go back to Jordan's sermon on God's word, I want to reiterate some things from that because it just it was so good. And if you didn't listen to it, I encourage you to go back to. But being planted in God's word to have the foundation, right? Not sand, but rooted in God's word to study it diligently, to put time and effort. We live in a time with the greatest access to the Bible, right? I don't even know how many of these are in my house. I've got at least two apps on my phone, right? Why am I not reading it and studying it? These go untouched sometimes. And then are we living it out, doing it, teaching it to others? Do we have reverence for God's word that it's holy and special and that to disobey it is appalling and heartbreaking? This is being rooted in God's word so that we can avoid being deceived. And when it comes to being deceived, we need to be the church. That's why we're here. That We have someone teaching or, or we're in accountability with each other in life groups to hold each other accountable. We have one of the TVs. It's the one closest to this door over here where Pastor Jordan has some recommended readings. Right? These are books Pastor Jordan has read and said, hey, these are great for you to read. They can be trusted so that you know what is true. And we could keep going on and on talking about this. But the point of what John is saying here is that we are to remain in the spirit, look at God's word, ask ourselves, is what we believe the truth? Who are we listening to? Podcasts, books, Facebook, Twitter, right? Wherever you're being influenced. Is it true? Is it godly? Because if you haven't discovered yet, everything on the internet is not true. But sadly, with the internet, anyone can go and write anything they want. There are people trying to deceive and lead astray. We get from the Bible, there are two types of wisdom, God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. As we ask this question, what I believe is true, we have distortions of Bible stories like David and Goliath. I remember you thought, oh, David and Goliath, God is going to help you beat your bully. No, that's not what it's about. David's pointing to the king that we need to save us from sin. We need Jesus. The Bible is an owner's manual or a roadmap for life. No, I've like opened an owner manual like three times in my entire life. You only open that when something goes terribly wrong. You're like, what does that warning light mean? That's not what the Bible is. It's not even about me. It's about God and his greatness that he has chosen to save people that he gets the glory, that my life revolves around him. Right? If God was here for me, then that would be really sad because as I look at brothers and sisters around the world, that people get made fun of, lose jobs, lose family, and even die because of following Jesus. It's my life for his glory. There are those that even John talks about that were once among us that have left. They have dropped their beliefs altogether to pursue something else. 
And what makes me so sad about those situations, it's not that they've chosen sin, right? We all do that. It's sin looks appealing. But it's that they have forsaken Jesus and the joy of following him for some sort of momentary pleasure of sin that will never satisfy their soul. And like I said, we cannot be haughty and go, that would never be me. And to illustrate how easy it is to be deceived, we're going to do a little activity. Um, so when I was in college, I was a professional magician. So we're going to do a little activity. So everyone gets to participate if you can. So everyone put your hands out in front with your thumbs up. Turn your thumbs down. Cross your hands and just interlace your fingers with your thumbs out. And you can look at your neighbor, make sure they're doing it correctly. So on three, what we're going to do is we're going to turn our hands to the right. So we're going to go one, two, three. Yes, I'm going to tell you how it's done. Otherwise, some of you aren't going to listen to anything I have to say. <laughs> so as you're looking at somebody else, I just turn my hands like this. Where you all did this, I did this. So that's how it's done. But, like, that's a simple thing. You can learn that one on YouTube. But it's so easy to be deceived. It's easy. If we're not asking how do I know what I know, but John gives us hope. And it's not to be scared. Like this isn't a sermon of like, oh no, I could be deceived at any moment. No, he says, remain. Walk with God. And if you do this, you won't be, de you won't be deceived. You will be held steadfast. Because it's not on me. As I remain in the Holy Spirit, he guides me. He leads me. Now, part of remaining is doing our diligence, right? Studying God's word. We've talked about that. Not just reading a chapter in the Bible and shutting it and checking that off the list. We ask questions. We work hard for it to grow. It takes work. Like, we practice hobbies. We might spend time reading and learning how to grow in our job or practicing a hobby or a sport or whatever it is. We, we, we could put a lot of work into those things but then think I can just read my Bible and that's enough. And I want to encourage you, never grow tired of the gospel. Because we can be deceived when we take the gospel for granted. It's beautiful and it's simple and it's wonderful and we need it every single day. You need to be reminded that you can't do it. That Jesus came to save you. That brings humility that we need. Man, I can't do it. If I try to do it, I mess up. If I try to do it, I'm a terrible dad, husband, or pastor. It's only in him. It's much more than Sunday. We've gone through this series over the last six weeks on spiritual health. And you can hear all this talking on Sunday and, and feel great or feel bad, but if we don't continue, if we don't remain Monday through Saturday, we're missing out on the joy of following Jesus. And lastly, we remain for confidence. This is verses 28 and 29, which says, So now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. As we remain, we anticipate Jesus' is coming back. And it leads us to this idea of being confident because we know our sins have been forgiven. 
and we're seeking to do what's right. Righteousness produces righteousness. God, who is righteous, brings forth sons and daughters who reflect his righteousness in their daily lives. As I remain in Christ, he fundamentally changes my heart to desire what is right, so I may choose right. This is what we call sanctification, the big word that just means looking more and more like Jesus. But when we neglect remaining, we can spiral. Life's been really, really busy the last couple months from we've had health issues with our kids of being in the hospital at times or almost being in the hospital. We've been moving in the new building and the changes that that brings. And I've been really, really struggling to remain. I'll be honest. And so the last couple of weeks, I've, I've felt down. I'm like, man, why do I just feel off? Why do I feel this? And it hit me the other day that this is what it was. And I was like, man, why, I feel off with God. What's going on? I feel far from him. Like my standing isn't there. Like I can't be confident. And it's because I took three steps back. And as John is encouraging us to be confident as we go before God in prayer, in whatever it is that God is for us, that we need to remain, we need to pursue him. I like how John Piper put it. I think it would be fair to say on the basis of these four verses that the incentive and power to live a Christian life pleasing to God comes from two directions, as it were. It comes from looking back with gratitude to the grace of God that appeared in Jesus Christ at his first coming when he purchased our redemption. And it comes from looking forward with the hope to the glory of God that will appear at the second coming when he completes our redemption. And we look forward to that in confidence that when Jesus comes back, I'm like, I am his child. I get to stand before him as a servant and it just experience the joy of my Savior. That when you follow him, you do not need to be ashamed. That you may look at him and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. It is our hope, it is our blessing and inheritance that we will not receive condemnation, but be welcomed in as children of God. We will get to see and be with our Savior in the flesh. And I can't wait for that. Not only to see him in the flesh, but also see him for all of his glory. And it is when we see him, we will truly know that all of this was worth it. The tribulations, the trials, the giving up things to serve. The work we do for the kingdom, it will be worth it when we stand before our Savior in confidence. I'm going to reread verse 29 in the New Living Translation. I just, I like how it says it. Since we know that Christ is righteous... We also know that all who do what is right are God's children. We know Jesus is righteous. It's one of those things that we've been taught since the beginning. And if we're going to claim to be of Jesus, we should be doing what is right. We don't get it right all the time. But we should be seeking to be holy as he is holy to remain in him. We don't just get saved and occasionally read our Bible or come to church or bring a list of needs to him. Remaining in him comes with fellowship, with intimacy, with joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. Even in the difficult times of life, he provides and gives us strength. We are held steadfast in knowing Christ and who he is and what he wants by the indwelling of the Spirit. And it all leads to this confidence before Christ. The work of remaining is not without these blessings. So I want to encourage you today to remain in him 
to guard yourselves for the everlasting joy of knowing our Savior. And the truth is not just knowing God, but remaining in him is the most wonderful thing ever. If you don't know him, I'd love to talk to you about that this morning or one of our pastors or elders and share more with you about the peace that comes from serving Jesus with all that we are. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your grace and your blessings as we serve you. Lord, help us see your glory and the worth and work that it takes to remain in you. Lord, we can't do it, so please help us. In your precious name, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.